It's a Wonderful Life. About a man, as you all know. Uh, how many have seen It's a Wonderful Life? I think it's 100%. Well, there's three or four over here. I haven't seen it. You've got to go home today and watch it, right? It's about, of course, George Bailey, who um, lives in Bedford Falls and uh, with a struggling savings and loan, Bailey savings and loan, and his, uh, one of his employees loses a deposit, and they were, had such small margins that they were going to go bankrupt. And he finds himself, you find him on a bridge contemplating suicide, and um, an angel named Clarence gets sit, sent down to show George what the town would have been like, how much anarchy and immorality and, uh, and debauchery and gross sin would have been in the town if it had not been for George. He shows him that his life really does matter. And that, you know, that's what heaven does for us. Uh, but we're, we're like George Bailey, too. We, uh, a sing, you know, George Bailey didn't, as I watched the movie uh, over the years, uh, I don't think he spent his life uh, thinking he wasn't making a contribution. But s when this catastrophe happened, he began to think like a lot of us think. Uh, um, Henry Cloud talks about this. He says, when a catastrophe happens... We tend to first, the first thing we do is we personalize it. And uh, the second thing we do is, first of all, we make it personal. It's, a, it's all about us and it's all uh, our fault. And secondly, we, we make it pervasive. It's, it's, it's every part of our life. Everything, is, everything stinks now because one thing happens. So your life could have been just perfect, but if one thing goes wrong today, I mean, you go out, if you go out to get in your car and, and all the tires are flat, you're just like... Life stinks. Christmas stinks. Everything stinks. You know, it's pervasive. And the third thing is you see catastrophe as permanent. Actually, people survive bankruptcies all the time. But that's the way you feel. That's where George was at. This message today, here's what I want to do, this Christmas message. I want to celebrate goodness. Because I believe what Jesus brought to this earth was the gift of goodness that dwells in humans. The Bible says he's the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. I believe God has planted goodness in the human heart. I know there's evil there too, but I believe that God has planted goodness. You Listen, the Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen, and, uh, listen to the, this dialogue with um, jo uh, uh, George Bailey and Mr. Potter, the evil Mr. Potter. Just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Potter responds, Peter Bailey was not a businessman. That's what killed him. Oh, I don't mean any disrespect to him. God rest his soul. He was a man of high ideals, so-called. But ideals without common sense can ruin this town. And George responds, in my, book, he died a, in my book, he died a richer man than you'll ever be. You spin your tiny little webs and think the whole world revolves around you, you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. And, of course, there's that conversation that he has with his pa, with his dad, in which his dad, you know, obviously wasn't a real sharp businessman and wasn't, wasn't the greatest businessman in the world. But you, you, you get a glimpse into George Bailey's heart when he says to his father, when after his father had told him, you should get out of this town and go, you know, you're smart, you're bright, you should go somewhere else. He says, you, this town is no place for you, for any man, unless he's willing to crawl to Potter. You've got your talented son. You've got talent, son. I've seen it. So get yourself an education, then get out of here. And George Bailey looks back at him and said, Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a great 
guy. That just gives us a glimpse into, into goodness. And I don't think we talk enough around the church about the gift of goodness. But Christ came to show us once and for all that a good life is a wonderful life. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So it, it's not just a coincidence that we celebrate goodness and generosity and kindness at Christmas time. It, it's, it's not any coincidence that we decorate our homes with brighter lights and we think about people in need and we think about people that are homeless at Christmas time. It's not just an ac- a coincidence or an accident. It's, I, know, I know a lot of people think that goodness is something we would have thought of without God. We would have thought about being good. We didn't need God. We didn't need Jesus. But I beg to differ with that today. We see all the Christmas stories. Charles Dickens, Christmas Carol. It correctly vilifies the miserly and mean-spirited Scrooge. and The Santa Claus is a redemption story, really, of how a borderline neglectful dad becomes this beloved person. Uh, and, 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 and a, a beloved figure in the lives of the world's children. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street is the story of how a good man touched people's lives by claiming to be the real Santa Claus. You know, we had, we had a Santa Claus used to come to our church here, and uh, he, he, he looked exactly like Santa Claus. He actually owned the elephant at uh, Southwick Animal Farm, and he would come here occasionally, and he would go to Florida in the winter and be Santa Claus in the malls down there. And One day I said something to him. I said, so you go and play Santa Claus. And he looked at me and very serious. He said, I don't play Santa Claus. I am Santa Claus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Grinch who stole Christmas. We talked about last week's the story about the power of rejoicing over the power of revenge. That's a Christmas story. Joy Noel is a great Christmas movie. That's also a true story about uh, during World War I, the Pope had uh, asked that they declare a truce on Christmas Day, and uh, the, uh, German, the Germans and the Allies refused to do it, but the soldiers took it upon themselves in one particular battlefield to declare a truce, and they came out, came out of their foxholes, and they shared candy and cigarettes, and sang Christmas carols together and had their own ceasefire on Christmas Day. Um, Most of the songs we sing are wishing other people well, uh, are inviting people to celebrate. Uh, Christmas stories invariably identify goodness, kindness, and generosity flowing from one human to another. See, where did that come from? That did not come from the human heart alone. That did not come from people uh, and I think part of the reason we don't, we don't celebrate the goodness in one another, in Christianity even, in modern Christianity, we have an extreme emphasis on God overlooking our sin and removing our shame. That's a huge emphasis. For the last 20 or 30 years, especially in Christianity, we've had a major, major emphasis on God saving the worst of us. God saving Mr. Potter. And God saving the worst people. I know if you read my a little piece that I wrote this week called Weekly Wisdom, if you read, I, I talked about that. I talked about it as a kid feeling like uh, 
I was a second-class Christian because if they brought anybody to come up on the stage and tell about receiving Christ, it was never a good person. It was a person who had been a hitman for the mafia or a drug dealer or a, a prostitute. or it, it was somebody who had done some horrible things. Like, like, like you didn't even need God if you weren't horrible. <laughs> if, if you weren't an embezzler or a or a murderer or something like that. You know, I, I know I've told you the story here a couple of times about a chance meeting I had with a hitman in the, that lived in our community. I don't know if he's still around here, but a couple of meetings. It's a long story. I won't get into it. But I was sitting. Well, I had a motorhome for, for sale, and I was sitting with him, and he brought his cousin to look at the motorhome, and we were sitting there, and she turns to him, and if I called his name, some of you would actually know it because he was in the news. And, and she said, uh, he really needs to go to your church. <laughs> but he didn't agree. He had, he had gone and done ten Hail Marys, I think, for all the people he had murdered. And he was all set. <laughs> but, but that's the way we think. Oh, like she didn't think she needed to come to my church. But her hitman cousin needed to come to our church. He needed God, right? And, and, and I think because of that, we, we've forgotten that God is the person who inspires goodness. And not only that, here, here's something that, that, that as I studied this, this movie, God is attracted to goodness. You know, sometimes we see that last, that, or that opening scene where the, they're talking about sending someone down to help, and we go, oh, that's not Christianity because God, God, God loves awful people, which he does, by the way. I mean, if you're one of the awful people here today, I want you to know that's, you're good, you're good, I love you. We got any terrible, awful, just scum of the earth out there today? Would you raise your hand, please? <laughs> See, that's a problem. Nobody ever says, I'm the scum of the earth. <laughs> but look at, if, if you look through the scripture, there was this guy named Nathaniel that we don't know much, hear much about after Jesus chose him, but the Bible says in John 1.47, they approached Nathanael, Jesus said, now there's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Who says Jesus and God doesn't care about goodness and integrity? And look at, I, I believe he looks at some of you and says, there's a man of integrity. I believe he looks at some of you and finds you very likable. Obviously, there's some people that he doesn't like very much. But there's a bunch of people that God really looks at you. And, and, and I, th I, I think that that's representative of this room today because you all raised your hand. That, I mean, none of you raised your hand that you were bad people. So <laughs> uh, I believe you. Luke chapter 7, verse 4 says, The men went to Jesus and begged him, saying, This officer, this Roman officer that was asking Jesus to heal his servant, this officer is worthy of your help. He loves people. And he builds, a, he builds a synagogue. So Jesus went. The Bible didn't say Jesus. Well, I, he's not worthy. I don't, I don't operate on that basis of people who are worthy for my help. I just, I heal everybody. He didn't say that. And then there's this guy named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 30. Three days ago, this is Cornelius talking. He was a, he was a Roman uh, officer also. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. And, and then there's um, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 24, a guy named Barnabas. The Bible says Barnabas was a good man. 
full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. And then, of course, there's the greatest. The, the epitome of goodness is the mother of our Lord, Mary. Luke 1.30, do not fear, Mary, for you have found favor with God. See, Jesus, the life of Jesus, what does the Bible say about Jesus? He went about doing good. See, sometimes we think Jesus just went around saying, believe in me or die. <laughs> Do you have that image of Jesus? Believe in me or die. No, the Bible says Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus went about doing things like caring for the poor, caring for people who have stressful and burdened lives, and caring for people who are sad and broken and in defeat, and that, I believe that good feeling, even if you're not a Christ follower yet, which I hope to persuade you to become one before this service is over, but even if you're not a Christ follower yet, I believe that good feeling you get when you help someone is the spark of the divine that's in you. Amen. I believe that with all my heart, and I believe that given time I could maybe pr prove it. So Christ came, and his life, like George's life, was instructive. That it's not about ending up with all the money. It's not about ending up with all the property. It's not ending up with the most successful career. Though those, things, they, those things have their place, and those things are fine and wonderful. There's nothing wrong with, wor with working for earthly success and material success. But it's not the best it's not, the, it's not the thing. What gives you a wonderful life is goodness, a life of goodness, a life of virtue. So, so secondly, today I would say that Christ came to prove that choosing virtue over all else defines a wonderful life. But I just want to play a, a clip of, of that scene where there's a run on the bank. And you can see George in the back of the taxi with Mary Hatch and they've just gotten married and he has all these dreams of seeing the world and going off on their honeymoon and you see him making a choice you see him making a choice to do to place a virtue above his own needs and his own self and that's what defines a wonderful life let's watch it Don't look now, but there's something funny going on over there at the bank, George. I've never really seen one, but that's got all the earmarks of being a run. Hey, lady, you got any money in the bank? You better hurry. George, let's not stop. Let's go. Uh-oh. Please, let's not stop, George. I'll be back in a minute. Thompson, how are you? Arlene, what's the matter here? Can't you get in? What is this 
Come on in. God damn it. Now, look, why don't you all sit down? Hey, there are a lot of seats over there. Make yourself at home. You see, there's a difference between values and dreams. We all have dreams. George had dreams. He had dreams of traveling the world. He had dreams of being successful in the world. But saving the savings and loan, rescuing it, was, it wasn't about success. It was about those people who needed a house to live in and people who, who, could own, who, who he wanted to see them own their own home instead of living in potter's slums. It was about the value. So what George shows us and what Jesus showed us is there's a difference between dreams and values. Uh, George Bailey always chose the value over his dream. And the dream is, you know, this is why we have Christmas. It's about values, not dreams. That also defined the earthly life of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus has, has a dream. Jesus has a dream of a kingdom. A kingdom that he would rule over and that you would be a part of that kingdom. He had a, he had a dream of having an earth with his, was it, that was at peace with him on the throne of that earth. Because he knew that was the only, that was his dream. But he knew that if he, if he short-circuited, if he denied his values and went for his dream, he, he, he would not be saving you. You were more important. You were more important than his dream. Because dreams sometimes tend to crush people. We tend to crush people on our way to our dreams. Uh, we, we, tend to, we tend to ignore people on the way to our dreams. And I, I've done a, some of that in my life. I've done, when I was racing, I was racing to be what maybe I thought was successful. I would forget about the people that mattered and the people that, that got me there. And, and that is, that's the opposite of what we see Christ doing when he came to earth. See, dreams are about an imagined ideal result. Values are about but values are about clear obligations. Do you know the difference between your dreams and your obligations? Dreams are always about the future hope. Values are about the present impact. I can, I can make that decision with my business. I, I, can, I, I, can, I can go along with that hostile takeover, but what about the people that are going to lose their jobs? See, that's the value. And if anything needs to be corrected right now in our country, it's we need to we need we we need to we need to lay aside some of our dreams to have our values. Great lives and great churches and great families are built on values, not just dreams. Dreams aren't wrong unless they clash with values. Listen, I want you to hear the values of God right now. I'm going to read two passages of scripture to you, and I want you to hear the values of Jesus. That his values, he was willing, he was willing to have us see him as a failure in order to affirm our value. But when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4 4 says, God sent forth the Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
Titus chapter 3, verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works we've done by, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, in order for that value to be affirmed, he had to leave heaven. He had to come to earth. He had to, he had to ultimately die on a cross. He had to look like a failure in front of the whole world in order for what was valuable to be redeemed. C.S. Lewis said, The human mind has no more power of inventing a new value than of imagining a primary, new primary color. Indeed, of creating a new sun and a new sky for it to move in. C.S. Lewis was saying what I'm saying today that values come from God. You can't invent values. A, 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 a strictly Darwinian view negates human values. It affirms the survival of the fittest. In fact, if you go with a secular, uh, naturalistic view, you would conclude that eliminating the, the weak and the needy would be your obligation because it would be the only way that the world would become what it needs to be. The only way the world would become what it needs to be is if you eliminate those who are hurting, if you eliminate those who are the least, if you eliminate those who are lost, if you eliminate those people with problems, if you eliminate those people who can't pay their mortgage or, or can't or can't achieve and, and arrive at the greatest test of fitness or the test of finances or the test of talent, you would be doing the world a favor by, by weeding those people out. I do not believe that we can be good without God. That doesn't mean that every person who's good has to be a Christian. That doesn't mean that every person who's good has to know that. They don't know that. They don't know that what's in them. Paul sat with a group of, of pagans in a place called Mars Hill at the Areopagus. And don't know the story. Some of you know the story. Many of you would not know the story. I understand. That's okay. But it's in Acts chapter 17. And he was talking to people who were not Christians. And he said, in him we live and move and have our being. He said, that's what your poets say. And he was affirming that every person on this planet, whether they like it or not, they're living and moving and having their being in God. Amen. And that's pretty cool, I think. Every one of us craves people with values, not people with dreams. Just dreams can make you pretty useless. But values, oh man, I wish I had more time to talk about this. Because values is what makes you useful. Values is what makes you matter to you. The people in this present time. Um, uh, Clark Gable uh, is a song by the Postal Service that says, I want so badly to believe there is truth, that love is real. I want life in every word to the extent that it's absurd. That's the human heart. 
We want people like George Bailey. George Bailey's speech at the bank run is loaded with values. He goes, if Potter gets hold of this building and loan, there will never be another decent house built in this town. He wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. Joe, you had one of those Potter houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken down shack? Here, Ed, you know, remember last year when things weren't going so well and you couldn't make your payments, you didn't lose your house, did you? Did you think Potter would have let you keep it? Can't you understand what's happening here? Don't you see what's happening? Potter isn't selling. Potter is buying. And why? Because we're panicking and he's not. That's why he's picking up some bargains. Now, we can get through this thing, all right? We've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? I am thankful for good people. And I meet good people all the time. Everywhere I go. In the stores. In the shops. Along the road. In the civic organizations. I meet good people. Can we just pause and celebrate the goodness that's in the human heart? Placed there by God. Amen? But Christ came to give us more than just a wonderful life. John 1.4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John 10.10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And we know that passage isn't just about material things because and, or, or successful looking people because the apostles and the disciples that he said that to, many of them died martyrs' deaths and many of them lost everything to follow Christ. So we know there's a life that is beyond the material world. What does George's statement in the bar tell us? I'm not a praying man. Remember that when he's in the bar? I'm not a praying man. What does it tell us? It tells us a good man can be separated from God. It, it, it tells us what I said in my article this week, that sin is not just about being badly behaved. Sin is about a predicament we're all in. We're separated from God. We're separated from the presence of God. And we don't have that transcendence that we need in our life. So this, this, that prayer tells us a, a, that a good man can be separated from God, that Jesus came to give us more than moral goodness. In fact, I want to pray, play those two prayers for you right now. You I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope, right? Show me the way. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. 
Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. <laughs> Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... pause and congratulate the incredible acting that uh, they did in those days. It was unbelievable. <laughs> but what did George not have before he had those conversations with God? He didn't have an eternal source of power and joy and purpose. If you notice the scene on the bridge, he was still as far as he knew, filing for bankruptcy. He, it, it, the, the situation in Bailey Savings alone had not been solved. But something had happened that George had connected with the transcendent. That, that rich and satisfying of that abundant life can't be about the material world, as I said earlier, because the early apostles didn't end up with luxurious, eternal, you know, material lives. What they ended up with was possessions and passions that the world couldn't provide. And no fear of death. Things unavailable to those without Christ. What George got from a heavenly visitation was something more than the rescue of Bailey Savings and Loan or even the admiration of the community. I propose to you that he got the presence of God because suddenly bankruptcy didn't matter so much. He got a divine counterweight. So right now as you sit in this room, I believe we sit in a room full of, I really do, full of George Bailey's. People who are kind, people who care. I've been a recipient of your, care, of your kindness over the years. People who, are, who, who want to do the right thing. People who want to care for others. I believe that with all my heart. In this room, though, there's someone and there's somebody here who doesn't have the peace that passeth understanding. You don't have the divine counterweight. So life crushes you. Sure, Jesus, I believe Jesus makes bad people good, but he also makes good people joyful. He also makes good people overjoyed. That's what I want for you today. I want overjoy. I want, in the words of Scripture, whosoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's what I want for you today. I want more than you just being a good moral person who cares about others uh, I want you to do that, yes, but I want something more for you. I have a deep appreciation regarding every strategy for defending the faith, by the way. 
Every strategy from defending the faith by teaching the origins of creation or uh, the credibility of the moral code or the accuracy of biblical prophecy or the problem of the empty tomb uh, or the rationality of God as a source of goodness. But I think today that the greatest proof of the reality of God is when we humble ourselves and pray and trust in Christ out of our innermost being flow rivers of living water. I, I think the greatest defense of the faith is joy. <laughs> At the instant we go from a wonderful life to eternal life. In, in 1900, Barney Elliott Warren penned this word to describe his coming to faith in Christ. And we used to sing it when I was a kid. I have found his grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. While I sit and learn at Jesus' feet, I am free, yes, free indeed. Please listen to these lyrics. I have found the pleasure I once craved. It is joy and peace within. What a wondrous blessing I am saved from the awful gulf of sin. That's, that's a great lyric right there. The gulf, the distance between me and God. No matter how good I am, no matter how people I save from bankrupt, many people I save from bankruptcy, no matter how many good deeds I do, I, there's still a gulf between me and God. He said, I have found a hope so bright and clear living in the realm of grace. Oh, the Savior's presence is so near I can see his smiling face. I have found the joy no tongue can tell how its waves of glory roll. It's just like a great overflowing well. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. The half has never yet been told. Have you had that experience with God yet? Have you had the rivers of living water? Have you received the Holy Spirit in that way? You know, the barrier to most of us receiving the gift of salvation is not that we're so bad. It's that we're so good. Jesus is more than a shame remover. He is the only connection to a security that can't be touched by political revolution, social oppression, societal reengineering, economic collapse, or personal offense. Hallelujah. To paraphrase the Grinch, puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christ, he thought, perhaps, means a whole lot more.
pray, especially for all of you who need to receive Christ. Maybe for the first time, some of you need to return to Christ. I realize some of you are drawn to Christ because you do feel ashamed. And you do feel you haven't been a great person. Others of you are drawn to Christ because you have setbacks or some catastrophe and you're looking for divine help like George was. But you know, the, the reason we want to come to Christ today, those reasons are valid, by the way. But you know what the main reason I want you to come to Christ? For salvation? Because it's true. That's the main reason. It's true. It's reality. Jesus Christ has gone to the cross to died for our sins and has taken away the sins of the world. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. I want you to receive the Savior of the world. Please, everyone, repeat this prayer after me. And some of you, a few of you, will pray it for the first time or the first time in a long time. Let's pray. Father, I come before you today. I admit my need of a Savior. I admit my need for something more. I admit my need for something more. I now receive, I now receive your, son your Son as my Lord, my Lord and my Savior. My Savior. Thank, you for this new life. Thank you for this new life. So that out of my innermost being, so out of my innermost being will flow rivers, flow rivers of, living water. of living water. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas.